Well, good morning, church. Well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, verses 6 through 12. If you have your copy of God's Word with you there, please turn to those verses. Pastor Ben is uh, in Montana uh, this weekend with uh, his daughter Hannah as uh, she's finishing up um, her graduate studies there in Montana, and so she'll be moving back to Tulsa. And so Pastor Ben will be bringing her back tomorrow, is that correct? So let's uh, keep him in our prayers. He misses us today, but he asked me to preach the word in his stead. So that's what we're going to try to do. Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 through 12. What I want to do is I want to read these verses, and then we'll uh, offer a prayer, and then we'll get into our exposition this morning. So beginning in verse 6, this is the word of the Lord. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Church, this is the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Thank you for the gift and the blessing of it. We know that we need it. We know that we need it daily. We know that we need to hear your word. We need to believe your word. We need to understand it rightly. We need it to sink down into our hearts so that our hearts are are filled up with it. Our attitudes are filled up with the truth of your word that we desire in our attitudes and in our will to live in a way that's pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, that as we engage your word this morning, that you would allow this word to permeate every, every facet of our being so that as we leave this place, we might live in a way that's pleasing to you. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name, and everybody said amen. All right, my big takeaway for us this morning from these verses is that life in the kingdom of Christ requires discernment with outsiders and wisdom from our heavenly Father. As subjects of King Jesus, we are to be discerning in our relationships with unbelievers, and in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we need wisdom from Him. Okay, Discernment and wisdom. And we're going to see that wisdom in the form of prayer this morning, in particular verses 7 through 11. But we start here with this idea of discernment. We learn from verse 6 that we need to be discerning with outsiders. Let's look again at that verse, verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, 
lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, in this proverb, this is essentially in the form of a proverb, the Lord gives a, a prohibition. Jesus is saying this is something that we should, we should never do. We should never give dogs what is holy nor ever throw our pearls before pigs. Now I'm trying to figure out what Jesus means by this proverb. I take it that he's not talking about literally like giving canines a choice cut of beef or meat. Uh, he's not talking about literally throwing a pearl before a pigsty. Uh, this is a proverb, and to, to figure out this proverb, we have to know that dogs and pigs had a background in the Jewish culture as things that were unholy or unclean. Now, in our day, when we think of dogs, we don't think of things that are unclean, right? We think of pets, um, domesticated animals, yes? Um, but that's not the way the Jewish culture thought about dogs. They, they thought about dogs and pigs as unholy things or unclean things. They were outside the covenant, uh, if you will. And when these terms were applied to people, it referred to those who were outside the covenant, uh, people who were outside the covenant. So I think Jesus is picking up on that idea here, and he's using dogs and pigs to refer to those who are outside the new covenant, uh, outside the kingdom. Uh, we may simply say then Jesus is talking here about unbelievers, all right? Unbelievers, all right? We aren't to give unbelievers what is holy or throw them our pearls. Of course, we need to ask the question, what, what is meant by what is holy uh, or pearls? Well, I think simply put, he means the message of the kingdom. He means the message of the kingdom or the message of the gospel. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to tell a parable that likens the kingdom to a pearl of great price. And I think we're on good grounds then to conclude that Jesus is saying, don't give the message of the kingdom to unbelievers. Now, wait, because all of a sudden you're probably already going, wait a minute, we're not supposed to share the gospel with unbelievers. That's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? But we need to figure out what does he mean by this? What is he saying? Just so we aren't confused into thinking that Jesus doesn't want us to tell unbelievers the gospel, Jesus qualifies what unbelievers he's talking about. He's talking in the latter half of verse 6, these words. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Thinking of the imagery here first, pigs place no value on pearls. Um, if you throw a pearl out in front of a pig, they won't think to go cash it in for a big payday. Okay? They won't be high on the hog. Thank you. Thank you, David. As a matter of fact, if you throw a pearl before a pig, they might eat it, right? Callisons, can I get an amen? Amen. But as Jesus says, they'll likely just trample it underfoot, okay? Pearls mean nothing to pigs. Similarly, if you give a wild dog some choice meat, they may finish that meat and then come and eat you. All right? One flesh is as good as another flesh, right? They don't care. They just eat flesh. So it is with certain people that we are sharing the gospel with. They don't see the value in it. 
They take our loving advances to them to tell them about Christ, not as a blessing, but as a curse. That's the unbeliever Jesus is saying we should never continue to share the gospel with. When I became a Christian my senior year in high school, someone very close to me growing up uh, with me had learned about my conversion. He learned I had become a Christian because I, I told him that I was a Christian. And for a season, I, I told him that he too should repent and, and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and submit to him as Lord. I wanted so badly for him to become a Christian. My heart was broken for his salvation. But one day he told me, Matt, I don't want you to talk to me anymore about Christ. And I was, I was broken. My heart was broken. How could somebody not want to believe this, this, this glorious good news about this person who died for sinners' sins? But that's what he told me. I don't want to hear you talk about Christ anymore. Suffice it to say, I had to learn from that experience the principle of what Jesus was alluding to here. Don't give the gospel to those you know don't want to hear it. Now, I didn't know at first that this person I grew up with didn't want to hear the gospel. I had to tell them the gospel to learn that they didn't want it. So the point is we need to give the gospel to whoever will listen, but when God in his providence reveals to us that the people we are talking to don't want to hear the gospel, we are to walk away. Leon Morris writes that the message of the gospel is to be offered to all, but there is a limit to the time that is to be given to its obstinate rejectors. A limit to the time that is to be given to its obstinate rejectors. Let's write some verses down here if you're taking notes. Proverbs 23 verse 9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 26.4, answer not a fool according to his folly, yes, you be like him yourself. In Matthew 10.14, Jesus said to his disciples that when they went out to minister the gospel, quote, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. The apostle Paul lived this principle when he went out to share the gospel in the synagogues. He went to the Jewish people, into the synagogues, preached the gospel to them, but when they rejected, what did Paul do? He left and went to the Gentiles. And I think the greatest example of the embodiment of this principle that Jesus is talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. During the trial there before Herod Antipas, the Lord is being peppered with questions by Herod. And uh, Jesus, knowing the heart, though, of Herod, that it was not true, his questions were not genuine and legitimate, he just kept his mouth closed. He didn't even say anything. Our Lord Jesus was the perfect example of this very principle. What we learn from Scripture, brothers and sisters, is that we have to be discerning in our sharing of the gospel. We have to read the room, as it were. It does an unbeliever no good when we try to force the gospel on them. And even worse than that, it brings displeasure on our Lord when we dismiss His providence in showing us this person is not ready to receive the gospel. We need to be discerning with outsiders. 
So verse 6 was Jesus talking about our relating to unbelievers. You may remember in verses 1 through 5 that Jesus talked about our relating to believers and not being hypocritical in our judgments of them. Now we move from believers, verses 1 through 5, to unbelievers, verse 6, to our heavenly Father in verses 7 through 11. In these verses, Jesus puts before our minds the topic of our prayer lives. Um, But he's not going to talk about prayer generally. Jesus doesn't address all the different ways we can approach our Heavenly Father. He doesn't talk about adoration or confession or um, um, intercession. Um, In fact, what Jesus is going to talk about in particular is about our petitions. Um, Us asking God of things or for things. So let's see what Jesus Jesus says here, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Let's observe that Jesus gives three commands here. Ask, seek, knock. It seems to me uh, right to think that these three commands are communicating essentially the same thing. Uh, we can maybe detect something unique about the images of seeking and knocking. But the unified idea is that of coming to our Heavenly Father to make requests of Him. (coughs) Having said that, we need to be clear about one thing from this verse. Jesus sees us as dependent on our Heavenly Father. We are in need of what our Father has. The very fact that we are asking of Him, that we are seeking from Him, knocking on His door, shows us that we are in a dependent relationship with our Father. I think we need to be reminded about this, not just every once in a while, but all the time, right? We are used to being very self-sufficient and independent in so many ways. We Um, know where to get our food, how to buy clothing, directions to a location. If something is fixed, we know to go to YouTube and watch a video on how to fix it, right? We're very uh, self-sufficient, and we think that we can navigate most of life pretty well. And I think because of that, I think it becomes difficult to think that prayer really matters because we've kind of got life figured out. I mean, why would I come to ask things from God when I've got life pretty well figured out. Now, I think none of us would say that, right, in like a company of human beings, and we probably wouldn't even you know, speak that to ourselves uh, if um, we were honest about it. But the fact is, is I think that sometimes we have a theology in our hearts or rather in our minds that really doesn't get worked out in our lives. We may believe something about what the Bible says. Yes, I believe that we're dependent on our Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father. We may even know the song, I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. But maybe the reality of our lives is more like, I need thee, oh, I need thee every once in a while. I need thee. Practice doesn't always match our theology, yet it should. And the truth Jesus Jesus shows us is that we are in a dependent relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're to come to Him and ask Him and seek and knock. This is the the joyful duty of our lives as God's people to approach our Father in prayer and we get to ask Him 
four things. Amen? The joyful duty of our lives to get to do that. And notice Jesus says when we come to our Father and ask Him for things, He gives us the promise that our Father will give us what we ask. Look again at verse 7. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And then look at verse 8 for clarification. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Clearly, Jesus is promising us that when we approach our Heavenly Father with requests, He will answer them. We may call this the promise of answered prayer. The promise of answered prayer. But wait a minute. Is Jesus giving a blanket statement here for receiving every single request we can think of? I'm going to say no. He's not saying whatever you can think of to bring to God, bring it to Him and you will have it. If that's what Jesus was saying, it would be contradicted by the example of the Apostle Paul. Remember when he asked the Lord three times that the Lord would remove this thorn in his flesh and the Lord didn't answer that in the affirmative, right? He said, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. That in fact, the Lord wanted to leave that thorn, whatever that thorn was in the flesh of Paul for the purpose of showing him, you can endure this by my grace and in your weakness, I will display my power. So not everything we bring to the Lord has the affirmation of yes. Here's another thing. James condemns the idea that anything we ask from God will be given to us. He says in James 4, 2 through 3, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James shows us that there are times when we ask God for things and we don't receive them because our motives are wrong. Our motives are bad. This is, by the way, the heart of the prosperity theology. At the heart of the prosperity theology is a fleshly desire to be rich, a, a love for money. And this strikes against something Jesus already said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you cannot serve God and money. So there's a, a bad motive in this idea of the prosperity gospel. But of course, there are other wrong motives that we can have in coming to God in prayer, right? But the point is, we learn from Scripture that not everything we ask God for or can imagine to ask God for is answered positively. But I want to say some things are always answered positively. And that is what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew chapter 7. So let's ask the question, what things are there that God answers positively all the time? Well, we'll work into this as we make our way through the rest of the context. But Jesus says this in verses 9 through 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now, these are rhetorical questions. The expected answer is there isn't a father who would do that. Now, someone might object and say, you know, I've seen fathers do terrible things to their children. And sadly, that 
is true. But Jesus is drawing an analogy from what one commentator said is our inbuilt assumption of what parenting ought to be like. We all know intuitively that an ideal father doesn't give a son a stone when he asks for bread or a serpent when he asks for a fish. An ideal father gives the bread and the the fish. And so when we get to verse 11, Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If ideal fathers who are still evil, and we could say by comparison to the perfect goodness of God, know, if they know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more or how much easier is it to believe that God our Father knows how to gift us? Seems that essentially Jesus is saying, look, you can accept the fact that sinful earthly fathers understand how to meet the needs of their kids. You should have no problem believing that an all good God understands how to meet the needs of his children. It's that simple. And yet Jesus doesn't just want us to believe that truth. He wants us to make it a part of our prayer lives. He wants us to come to our Father with with hearts full of requests for our needs. And in particular, I'm going to say our spiritual needs. Because after all, our spiritual needs are those needs for which we have every reason to be confident God will meet. Now, yes, to be sure... As long as God wants to keep us alive, He will provide our basic physical needs, right? We, we learned this from what Jesus said many verses ago when He said, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, that is your basic physical needs will be added to you. Again, as long as God wants to keep us around, we will have those needs met. Of course, until God says it's time to come home, food won't matter for us anymore. He wants us home to enter our heavenly rest. In the meantime, we must maintain a a vibrant prayer life that seeks God for our spiritual needs. And we may give an example of something that we need to ask God for on a continual basis, and that is we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask Him for wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. That's a promise. It will be given him. Notice here that if we ask God for wisdom, we will give it. We will get it. It's a promise. It's a sure thing. Of course, there is a condition, right? If we know this passage, we know that James goes on to say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We can't be double-minded in our asking. We have to ask in faith. In other words, we have to believe that God will give us wisdom. Amen? And let me ask you, what is the source of wisdom for Christians? It's the Word of God, right? The Word of God is our source of wisdom. So we may come to God and ask for wisdom, but we should always know that His answer is found in precept or principle in His Word. Paul told Timothy to continue believing the truth that he learned in the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, which are able to make you wise, notice that, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I take it that 
that Paul is speaking with particular reference to our sanctification when he uses the word salvation here. Yes, salvation refers to our initial deliverance from the penalty of sin as we learn about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9. through 9. But salvation can also refer to deliverance from the power of sin. This is how Paul uses it when he says in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's, that is a, an idea of sanctification. That is the idea of becoming more like Christ, more godly in our character. I think that that's what Paul is, is talking about when he says to Timothy that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, i.e. sanctification through faith in Christ Jesus. And so what we have here is this beautiful just tipping or the affirmation on the, the part of the Apostle Paul that the Word of God is where we find wisdom. Wisdom for sanctification comes through the Scriptures. And so when we come to God and ask for wisdom, He's partly already answered our request by providing us the Holy Bible. Amen? We just need to now read it and rely on the Spirit's help and illumination and understand it alongside others who have studied it. But again, our heart attitude should be, God, give me wisdom, and we can be confident that He will answer that prayer. Let me qualify our confidence, though, as we wrap this passage up. We need to say something that puts, I think, a helpful check in our spirit as we come to God and ask Him for things. What I mean is that Jesus says something in verse 12 that is important for us in our understanding of how we need to approach God. Jesus says in verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And we know this verse is the golden rule, right? This is a very popular verse. Even before I was a Christian, I knew this verse in John 3.16. Many unbelievers today know this verse. They, they think it is a, a really good ethic for life. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in fact, this is a good ethic, but we can't disconnect this from its Christian context, number one. Meaning Jesus gives the golden rule to His disciples, citizens of the kingdom. He tells them to live this way. So this ethic is given to Christians who have been enabled by regeneration and the indwelling Holy Spirit to be able to keep it. So the golden rule has a very Christian context to it. We can't disconnect it from that context. Does that make sense? Christians are to keep the golden rule. But we also can't disconnect this verse from the immediate context. What do I mean? I mean that we can't disconnect it from verses 7 through 11. Here's why that's important. We should be confident that God will answer our prayers for our spiritual needs, verses 7 through 11. We should treat each other rightly, verse 12. But if we don't treat each other rightly, we shouldn't be confident that God will answer our prayers. If we don't treat each other rightly, we shouldn't be confident that God will answer our prayers. That's the nuance we get from keeping the golden rule in its context. We shouldn't expect God to have, to put it a different way, a favorable ear toward us when we aren't in the right with our fellow man. And this isn't new to us, is it? We've already learned in the Sermon on the Mount that our vertical fellowship with God is affected by our horizontal relationship with others. 
We learn that if we want to bring an offering to God, yet our brother has something against us, we need to go get reconciled first, then come and make the offering. We also learn that if we want restored fellowship with God, we have to practice forgiveness with others. Jesus already showed us this principle in different ways thus far. Now He brings it to bear on our prayer lives. Church, if we want answered prayer from our Heavenly Father, we need to practice the golden rule also. Let me give some other verses in Scripture to show this very thing, just to put it positively. John says in 1 John 3.22 that whatever we ask we receive from God, and notice this, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. But here are verses that show what happens if we don't keep God's commandments and how that affects our prayer lives. Proverbs 28.9 says that if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. The law here could refer to God's commands, or it does refer to God's commands, which include how we relate to others. If someone doesn't practice being in good standing with others, they shouldn't expect God to be favorable to their prayers. Matter of fact, that verse says their prayer is an abomination. It's a very strong word. Here's another example from Scripture. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And notice this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says to husbands that they are to live with their wives in an understanding way so that their prayers may not be hindered. What's the implication? Well, the implication is that if husbands don't do this, their prayers are, are hindered. Okay? You see that, that horizontal, vertical thing going on there? If a husband isn't right with his wife, his prayer life will be hindered. These are just a couple of examples that show us God expects His people to come to Him, church, with clean hands and a pure heart. That He expects us to right wrongs with others, treat them like we wish to be treated. Now, why? Is it so that we can be saved? Of course not. The golden rule is not here in the Sermon on the Mount to say, hey, if you do this, you will get saved. Brothers and sisters, we know that we have all come to the cross with poverty of spirit and in need of salvation from our sins, right? We bring nothing to the transaction of our salvation. It is all of God, amen? It is all of God. But now that we are His children, now that we belong to Him and we are in the kingdom, He demands as a gracious and good king that we live a certain way. He wants us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And when we practice the golden rule, we show our saltiness, we show our light to the world around us. We live amongst ourselves the way that the Lord Jesus wants us to live with each other. And the beautiful thing about it is that when we do that, when we practice this kind of reconciliation one to another, that we can come before our Heavenly Father and know that He will answer our prayers. We can be confident with assurance that when we approach Him, our prayers are met with a favorable ear. So church, 
Is there reconciliation with others that is needed today? Do we need to go make amends with a brother or sister? God wants us to do that today. And in the context of what we looked at today, so we can have his ear in answered prayer. Let's make that move today with the help of the Spirit and with the assurance of God's word. Let's pray.